Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, today I've been joined by an absolute Reading FC legend. Only the second man to ever take us to the Premier League, went on crazy runs with our teams, also took us to multiple quarterfinals in the FA Cup. Just as soon as you think of this man, I just smile straight away, is Brian McDermott. Hi, Brian. How are we doing? Nice to see you. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I mean, I say that we're in this weird world of COVID. How are you dealing with it at the moment? I'm dealing with it okay. Um, you know, I have a sort of set plan for the day. Just the two of us here, my wife and I, and uh, we try and eat properly. We try and uh, train if we can every day. And, uh, you know, obviously I still, I, I can still watch games on Scout for Arsenal, so I can still do my job. I can look at repeat players that we've watched in the past. So it's good the Bundesliga started this weekend, so I watched all the games from that. So other leagues are starting up around Europe, so that's good as well. It gives me something to do with uh, watching new games. Yeah, definitely. I mean, people, the Bundesliga with the clothes behind closed doors. It's a kind of, it's slightly unusual, but I think it's more important that we actually have football at this moment, if it's safe. Obviously, that goes well with everything at the moment. But at Arsenal, the scouting situation must be so different compared to uh, Reading Football Club. No disrespect to Reading, which ultimately means it's slightly, but it's kind of, Arsenal is a world-class setup, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's got great people there, great scouts there, people. My boss, Franny Kadjo, has been there for so many years now. And he's a fantastic scout, top, top class person. Uh, yeah, we've got great people there working there. And we've got everyone all over the world. You know, we've got scouts all over the world. My job is to watch players in, in Europe, different countries, Spain, Italy, Austria, Germany, wherever you like, really. And, uh, you know, I've got a fantastic job because I was brought up there when I was a young kid. So it's nice to go back there. Yeah, definitely. I've been looking at the pictures of you playing at Arsenal and uh, it's quite amazing. It's like seeing pictures of you, the England youth strip and all those kind of things. You're quite a player's career as well. Did you ever play at Elm Park for Arsenal no, in the kind of combination league thing? I might have done. I know I played at Reading in a, uh, a game against at Highbury once in a, in, a, in a combination game when I was young. I can't remember playing at Reading. I really can't play, remember playing at Elm Park. No, no. Well, fair enough. So let's get to your career at Reading Football Club. <laughs> Quite an amazing time you had in journey. You seemed to do virtually every single job there in the backroom staff, moving on to the top one, obviously. So Alan Pardew brought you in in the 1999-2000 season. How did that come about? Um, I was at Woking. I'd left Woking. Uh, I met him at a game when it was, uh, I think it was a reserve game at Brentford. He came up to me. And he, um, what did he, he asked me if I uh, fancied coming to do a bit of scouting. I came and did a bit of scouting for, for nothing for a little while. And he wanted me to be the chief scout and the under-17 manager. I didn't know that actually. Uh, it was really funny. I don't know why he asked me to do the job. So I did a little bit there. I did a couple of months for nothing. And I was just scouting. I didn't know anything about scouting. Um... I did the under-17s, got the job, and I worked all the hours under the sun and loved it. I loved him. He was a, he was a great manager for us. You know, he um, enjoyed working under him. You know, he brought Martin in as well, Martin Allen, and uh, you know, Kevin was there, Kevin Dillon. So it was the start of a really good time for me in my career. 
Yeah, definitely. I think Alan Pardew is a man who set the foundations for Redden football mm-hmm. going forwards. I think, obviously, the way he left upset some fans and still does now. But for me, he was just pivotal, pivotal, if I could speak, with the club becoming so successful. Do you agree with that, Brian? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, 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 um, he, Alan's got a certain aura about him. And, and I could just tell that we were going to be all right. You know, this guy knows what he's doing. He was a young manager, but he was hungry. And then... Uh, he wanted to play. He, he, he had real ambition to, to kick on. I think we were in League One at the time. Um, and I kind of knew we were going to do all right under him. He was a great coach. Um, really interesting character. I liked his company. I still do. And uh, I think he did a fabulous job for us. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. Obviously, we have the promotion under him in 2002. At Brentford, we go forward then into the first division as it was. And then Steve Koppel comes into the club. I mean, what a man Steve Koppel is. Um, I always call him Sir Steve Koppel because just 106, that's just unique, isn't it? But what was your relationship with him and how did it go about him keep making sure that you stayed at the club? Um, I had one meeting with Steve, I think, one-to-one. And he came into, he just said, oh, can I see you? And I said, I didn't know Steve. And uh, I came into a room and he said, uh, whatever happens, I want you to stay. And there was a chance that I possibly was going to go with Alan to, to West Ham. And he said, we, you know, people speak highly of you, speak well of you, and I want you to stay. I went, all right, that was it. Um, and I love working with Steve. I absolutely love working with him. He's a funny man. He's got a great sense of humour. A real football man, and I learned such a lot under under Steve, watching him work, and uh, it was a joy coming in every day. You know, we had an eclectic mix of staff. You know, it was really interesting times, and uh, and good fun as well. Really good fun. Yeah, highly successful. But yeah, I went to a former Reading Players event recently with AD hosting it. And Steve, for a couple, was there. And just when he spoke, there's just complete silence. Mm. And he just doesn't say that much. But what he says is worth listening to 100%, doesn't it? It's kind of like got so much compact information, just concise and gets it all down. But in that team that got promoted, we had so many players that he must have been pivotal in kind of like getting into the club through your scouting. But players like Nicky Shorey, um, what a player he was, Brian. Yeah, and it was a great player, absolutely top draw. I mean, we knew his dad actually, Steve. So Steve, Steve was pivotal in getting him to the club, and Steve was a he's a scout at Reading now, and a great scout he is. And uh, Nick was a top. But I mean, look, you could go through the list. You know, Doyle, Longy, Kitts. You know, bringing Sydney in, bringing Harps in, Sonks in, Hunty in, Bobby Comby, Marcus Hanneman. You know, and it was proper scouting. You know, it was real old-fashioned scouting back in the day. Johnny Oster, Glenn Little. You know, all of those lads that you know, you can just—they just reel off the tongue, and they're all really, really good people. And we we, we tried to scout really nice, good people, and they were, uh, but they all had a little edge to themselves. You know, they always wanted to do well. And you know, that team, two thousand five, six, that didn't just come about over one season. That took two years, three years to get to, to get to that stage. Um, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't built in, in one season, that team. It took a, it took a time, it took time. You know, but it's a 2005-06 season, it speaks for itself. Yeah, out of all those players, which ones do you think would, 
that you scouted and were most involved with coming to the club, which one would you say you would pick out as one of your favourite findings? Well, let's pick any of them out. I think they're all, you know, we were part of a team. Nick Hammond was instrumental in, in, in being director of football. He was really, really important. Steve himself, you know, all the staff, um, you know, it was massively important who we recruited. You know, to pick Doyle out from, from Cork, you know, we knew Pat Damon's brother, Pat Dolan, and we went to watch him play, I went to watch him, and we watched him five times between us, Nick, Steve and I. Uh, Shane Long, I mean, he came along and fantastic player. Uh, he got better and better and better. You know, Kits, I remember Kits played in a game against us, I think, for Cambridge when we drew 2-2 two, two at Cambridge. And I just kept, I, I kept thinking, wow, what good player this fellow is. You know, and we took him for about 150 grand. You know, Leroy Lita, um, players like that. So, you know, all of them fitted into what we were trying to do, into this this puzzle the manager was trying to create. And um, it worked. Uh, it worked really, really well. And, and Steve knew Eva, Ivan Gamasa, and, and he wanted to bring him because he knew what kind of character he was. Um, Hunty, Stephen Hunt. Steve knew him really, really well. Wally knew him really well. Knew what he would bring to the dressing room. And they, and they did, and, they, and everybody brought something to the dressing room, and that was the key. Um, and they were just hungry, really hungry players. What would you think is more important when you're scouting a player? Obviously, they've got to have a certain level of ability, but would you say their personality is more important because that's the kind of ethos that gets them to where they want to be? Well, you've got, you know, there's a certain amount of talent, but talent gets you so well. Hmm. You know, the attitude and the... And the and the determination and the desire, and I've I've been in, I've been fortunate enough as a player and a staff member to be involved in six promotions. In every single one of those promotions that I've ever been involved in, they're all good lads. I mean, I'm going back to whenever my first promotion for Oxford in 1984. All really good lads in that dressing room, uh, and that's the key for me. You know, you have to produce a bunch of good people and a bunch of good lads that are mates that love each other and, and, and every single one of those promotions in six times that's what I could say you know I could go back to any one of those teams that I used to be involved in and, and meet one of those players now and it'd be just like yesterday yeah no, no exactly when we were watching your teams as well you'd see that throughout the core of them that's the one thing I'd always say worked hard I can't remember your teams being well worked I just can't remember it. It just, it was such a rare event to see that happen. You might see some other team come along who was maybe better, but you would not be outworking him. I think that kind of like goes back to you though, doesn't it? It's your belief and that's the way you set them up. It reflects you, Brian, I feel. I mean, look at, you look at the teams from 1999, Alan's team, Alan's team was never outworked. Steve's, Steve's team was never outworked. And um, we had a thing about, you know, the team that we put together we did get outworked one game the season that we got promoted. We got outworked against Watford. And the stats proved that we got outworked. And it was, I think, got beat 2 0 at home against Watford. And we had a big meeting about that, you know, and we said, look, can we make a promise to each other? That will never happen again. Make sure we are never outrun, outworked, or outtackled. And, and they kept to the promise, the lads. They, they really did. And that was massively important. No, totally. So, in 2009, you become manager and you take over from Brendan Rogers. Um, obviously, you've known Brendan for a long time. He'd been at the academy, worked through that system. Um, he's gone on to have a very good career. 
Um, how was it when you came in and then you were told by uh, Sir John that you were going to be given a caretaker role? Did you want the job and did you make that clear? I never wanted the job. I mean, the fact is that I, um, I wasn't looking for, to be a manager. I was really, I was, I was comfortable, I was happy. Um, I was at my happiest actually at Ready Man and Steve. I'm working with the, the people that I work with, with Bill and Wally and, and Nigel and, and uh, you know, all the lads that we work with. I, I loved it, I absolutely loved it. Brendan came in, uh, it changed the style of how we play. Didn't work for Brendan at the time, but he's gone on to have a fantastic career and he's a great manager. Um, but I knew the players. And the, the, the thing for me, he said to me to be, that he wanted me to be caretaker manager and look after the team. And I said, well, look, if you want me to be caretaker, I want, I want the job. Because I felt that I knew the lads. And I knew that if, we, if someone else came from outside, everything would change again. We didn't have that. I didn't think it was right and proper for that to happen. I felt we had good players. I felt we had a team that was well capable of getting up the league. And I felt we could, we could do all right. And also, I knew the staff. You know, and I, obviously, I had Nick there. Nick was director of football. Nigel Gibbs was just an absolute top, top guy. And a great coach and a real football man and really loyal and I, I had so many good staff there as well I just felt it, it would just fall into place uh, and it did no totally I mean you took over when we were second bottom and we finished ninth so results mm. speak for themselves don't they you also got us to our first FA, FA Cup quarter final in 83 years um, but the one game that stands out to me and I don't know if it's for you but the Liverpool match, that match was such a, a, a important match in the whole of your career, I'd say, at Redden Football Club. Just going there and also deserving to beat Liverpool. That was not a lucky result, I felt. That was mm. something that we should have got. What are your kind of memories of that game? Well, I don't know if we'd be sitting there having a conversation if I didn't win If we didn't win, honestly, don't. I think... Um, because we had, we come in off the back of, I think it was three defeats in the league, and we just got beat by Plymouth, um, four, I think, four something. Um, so to go to, to Anfield, we, we, we draw the game at the day scheme, we go up to Anfield, and it's 1 0 to them, and we're unlucky, you know, we should be, we should be in front in the game. And I put Shane on, and he gets a penalty, and I've got a young Gilfrey Sigurdsson, who walks up to the ball. And rolls it in the back of the net, and it kind of sums up Gilfrey. Really. You know, you know, if you ever wanted someone to take a penalty for your life, it would be Gilfrey Sigurdsson. And it was really, it was like that. And then uh, Brynjar, brilliant bit of skill, nutmegs their fullback. Shane gets in front of their centre half and scores, and we win the game. And uh, I remember the last kick of the game. Virtually, this ball was popped into the into our box, and Adam Federici caught the ball right at the end of the game. And I just thought, oh my god, we just want to answer. And I remember looking, it was 2 1 to Reading, and we took pictures of the Liverpool <laughs> 1 Reading 2. I kept those pictures. Uh, it was a great night. It was an absolute great night. And we deserved to win that game that night. We really did. And I look back on that with massive fondness. And it, was, it was key. It was instrumental in me actually getting the job, I think, in the first place. So, you know, I, I, we had, I knew I was going to get the job, and then the chairman had told me, Sir John had told me that. He was going to announce it when he came back from Tenerife. And we'd all, at that point, we had to play, I think it was Sheffield United and Nottingham Forest away. 
And I was thinking, oh, that's going to go down like a ton of bricks, me getting a job, because we could get beat in those games, which we did. And then we announced it, and it didn't, it didn't go down particularly well. I think that people thought, oh, well, he got lucky against Liverpool. And, uh, you know, maybe he's just lucky, but, you know, it, 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 it turned out all right. Yeah, definitely turned out more than all right, Brian. Uh, someone you've mentioned there and someone who I love to talk about as well is Gilfie Sigerson. Uh, what a player there. I mean, he was initially brought into the team by Brendan, but really freed up by playing in the 10 role. Oh, mm. Just a special, special player. Probably the best technical player I've ever seen play at Reading. What was it like working with him? It was easy Now We've known Gilfie since he was 14 years of age. It just took him a little bit time to develop physically once he did and, and I stuck him in the 10 role which suited him absolutely fine and he knew he would score make score goals and make goals and I knew top draw on set plays and, and penalties which was you know fantastic so we built a team around him really and you know if you look at that team you know I think it, it ended up with Shane up front on his own Gilfie in behind Jimmy on one side Joby on the other side you know that's it that's a, that's a fantastic front four, any team really. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely team to watch. Really was a good team to watch that. Yeah, it was. It was beautiful watching that time. So you signed a 12-month deal not long after all of these wins. Then you get a nominated for the manager of the month in February, but you win it in March. This is some introduction to uh, football management, isn't it, Brian? I mean, everything's going incredibly well at this point, and I'm getting very excited about next season. <laughs> As a fan, I'm thinking if we keep on playing this level of football, it's going to be fantastic to watch. I was just disappointed when the season ended. Uh, what were you thinking, there, Brian? Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, really. Uh, uh, I was thinking of a very, very important player was just about to be sold. Mm. Um, so I knew that was coming. And the day, the day he was sold, I spoke to his dad and, and, and Gilfie, and it was a really emotional day. We got six million, seven million quid up, up front from Hoffenheim. And... Uh, it was tough to sell him, you know, that was what I was thinking. Um, and this was the start of the following season. So you know, we moved through the summer, we had Gilfrey, he played a few games at the start of the season and we sold him and, and we're thinking to ourselves, wow, how are we going to replace someone like Gilfrey Sigerson? Well, we have to change the way we play. So things changed, things changed an awful lot in that, in that August. Yeah, hell of a lot. I remember when he went, and I, I found it quite emotional as well, Brian. <laughs> Nowhere near as much as you would have, because I knew what a special player he was. But yeah, when you're inside the club and you know that's coming, how do you kind of plan for that with transfer-wise? Because you've obviously got to wait for the money to come in before you can spend it, probably. And you know you're not going to get all that money, <laughs> being realistic, it's Reading. So how do you build the kind of like network of transfers that you're going to kind of possibly get in? We just have to know people. You have to have connections, and you have to you have to find some some another way. Uh, you know, I replaced Gilfie with Ian Hart, and and that sounds bizarre. You know, totally different positions. Got Harty. You know, he was playing for Carlisle at the time, and he had a buyout clause in his contract of seventy five thousand pounds. That's the best seventy five pound Reading have ever spent. You know, if you consider what that man did for our football club, Ian didn't come to us for. Money, you know, Ian came because he wanted to play. He was playing at Carlisle, he was playing centre half, he played left back for us at Joby in front. He was fantastic on set play. So, 
we replaced his set plays, Guilford's, with Ian's. And we had to change the way that we were playing and the way that we were playing. We were at 4-4-2. We played a different way. Uh, and we got Ian in. And uh, he, he, was, he was fantastic for us. And, uh, and we used to go on runs. And we used to go on runs and win games. And uh, the guys knew how to win. Yeah, definitely. And in this season, you finished fifth, a playoff. But you start the season with a 2-1 defeat against Scunthorpe. Guilfi scores his goal before he leaves. Then he scores two more at Leicester, two amazing goals. But yeah, we've done Guilfi Sigerson now. I could talk about hours without him, but he's a kind of special player. Then we kind of start to pick up momentum. We have a 4-3 win, which is a really big one against Doncaster. And that was one that I think started to propel us back into the form that we had from the season before. Do you remember that game, Brian? We should have been out. They should have been out of sight. They could have been four or five one up. I remember the manager. The manager took John Oster off at three one down, and he was running the show. And uh, and we scored. Uh, I think Churchy scored a goal, make it three one. Oh, and thought maybe the winner. And uh, it was so important. But the thing about it, I always felt that we could come back. And I always felt we could score late goals. And I used to tell the lads, listen, guys, you know, we, we want a situation where the fans don't leave before the end of the game because they know something's coming. So you keep going. You know, as long as we keep going, a long 95 minutes, whatever. And, and that was a big, big win for us. We had loads of wins like that, but that was a really important one. No, definitely. And we kind of get through that season. We're pushing forwards all the way through. There was another crazy game later in the season, a 4-3 against Forrest. Now, that is another late goal. From Simon Church, scored some big goals for you, Brian, didn't he? Definitely. Going right back to one of your first games, I think Bristol City, he scored an equaliser, but he scores the winner in this Forest away. It's kind of another crazy game in that season. What are your memories of that one? He's another one. He's so important as a person. Great individual, great person, Churchy. You know, and known him since he was a young lad as well. So, you know, he, he did score some big, big goals. Um, he scored the goal that you know my, in my first game, and, and, and that game right at the death. I mean, um, that was an extraordinary game of football. It really was extraordinary, and especially Billy Davis was alongside me. Was going, I think it was Billy. I think he was going mental. Um, but it, 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 it was an extraordinary game. I remember we missed a penalty right at the end there. It was 4-3 and then they went up the other end and nearly scored themselves to make it 4-4. I actually remember it was my birthday. So um, that was another one, another really, really big win. And they just dug it out. They just, you know, and I remember the fans at, at, at the other end uh, that, that behind, behind the, the goal. They were fantastic that day, really were. No, definitely. It was an insane game. But also during that season, we saw the retirement of Chris Armstrong. That There's a man, I don't know how he managed to play football with multiple sclerosis. That is just a remarkable effort. Um, one that I cannot imagine. Um, talk to us about Chris Armstrong. Brian, just incredible man. What a guy. Um, look, you know, the story, you'll never know the story. I mean, the story was, was more incredible than you could ever know. You know, he couldn't even walk around the training ground. And Luke Anthony, our physio at the time, he was great with Chris. And he um, he worked with him constantly. And Chris just wanted to play. He just wanted to keep going. Really quiet man. Really humble guy. And he just wanted to play. And he just kept going and kept training and kept training. And he eventually started to play games for us. It was unbelievable. I've never, ever seen anything like it. Um, just such a lovely, lovely guy. And uh, 
you know, everything that's good about football, you can suggest that uh, Chris Armstrong, that's that everything that is good about football in this day and age. Yeah, a remarkable man to see him on the pitch was just, after knowing the information was just... Mm-hmm. It's almost, yeah, it's just incredible, really. Uh, remarkable. So we then move on into the playoffs, semi-finals. Now, playoff finals at Reading Football Club, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a really touchy subject. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's a kind of, but the first game, the nil-nil game against Cardiff, that was so tense, really tense. And I kind of thought it was an okay result, but on those on the bus on the way home, and lots of people were quite disappointed. But I thought, we're in the game. What, what were you thinking then? I was thinking, don't get beaten in the first game. That's what I was thinking. Neil was fine. That's what I was thinking. I remember afterwards, the, you know, their staff came into the into us afterwards. We, we had a drink together. And I was thinking that they feel quite confident about um, winning at, at, uh, at Cardiff. And I was, I was very confident that we could go there and, and do a job. It suited us actually to go there. Pressure was off us. Pressure would have been on them in front of their own fans, and uh, we we won the game really well. I mean, you know, we started the game well. Uh, we got two 0 in front, and uh, Joe we got a fantastic goal to make it three three nil, and that was another great night. And uh, you know, we were really good value for it that night. Yeah, I totally. What a goal and what a player. Uh, Joby McEnough was being for Reading Football Club. Uh, you made him captain, and just an uh, inspirational man in the way that he behaves now as well. And you see him with the situation at Leighton Orient with Justin Edinburgh. Um, he's the kind of person you'd like to know. <laughs> Joby McEnough, he's a kind of really top man. Talk to us about Joby. Well, unfortunately, I do know him. And um, he came in, Brendan signed him. So I didn't know Joby. Um, when he came to the club, I knew him as a player, obviously, but I didn't know him as a, as a character. And I, I soon learned what a top guy he was um, and how much respect he had in that dressing room. There's some people like Joby, Ledge, um, Ian, Casper. Uh, they, they ran that dressing room for me. They, they were fantastic people. I always say, you're, you're only as good as your senior players. And your dress room's only as good as you've seen the players. Uh, and, and they were so important. And Joby was meticulous in everything he did. He was not fit at certain times, but played. You knew what the level of performance that you were going to get from him. You knew he was going to con- be consistent in his personality. Everything about him was, a, was that made him a really, really good captain. Um, and I love him as a fella. He's a great guy. And, and you can just see what kind of guy he is. Now, what you see is what you get. He's a, he's a top individual. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we move on to the playoff final. And, well, the first half of the playoff final was not what we were looking for. Obviously, that goes without saying. 3-0 down. What's it like in the dressing room, Brian, at that point? What are you trying to... Is it kind of you're trying to keep everything calm inside yourself? Because as a manager, I think maybe the best... It must be so hard to control your emotions sometimes when you're thinking... Cities is slightly out of control and you're kind of like trying to keep the calmness in the players. Could you manage to do that at that point? Yeah, I could. I was, um, I went in and obviously that you got the fact that you took your three nil. So you can't change the fact that the score says it's three nil. I actually went into the dressing room and, and there was lots of shouting in the dressing room. They were having a go at each other. And I thought, well, let them crack on. And, and I did for three or four minutes. 
minutes. And then I just said, look, guys, can we score a goal? You know, and, and I just, that's all I said. I said, can we score a goal? We said, oh, score a goal. We knew that. But look, if we can score one goal, we're going to score two. If we can score two, if there's a roof on this place, it's going to come off. And things change. Things will change. But we have to score a goal. Just concentrate. Try and score a goal. If we can cut it. So it was, it was not trying to say, look, we've got to turn it around and win 4-3. We were just trying to say, look, let's take it one bite size. Score a goal and see what happens. We score a goal, 50-odd minutes. Um, and then Millsy scores, 3-2. And the roof, if it was ever a roof at Wembley, would have come off. I've never heard noise like that in any game. I've been involved in many games of football. Never noise anything. I've never heard noise like that in my life. And I thought, mm, we're going to chance now. Um, three all comes because Gems hit the post, goes back to Noah, sticks it in, and he gets, Gary Monk gets it off the line. And it was like, oh, that would have been 3-3. Three, three. It would have been interesting, really interesting, obviously they score right at the end. But I was proud of the comeback. Um, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't our time, for whatever reason. Um, but my biggest thing about... Wembley was I always wanted to be play. I never played there I wanted to walk out there as a manager I thought it's just going to be fantastic I walked out and it was a it was a tough 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 day. I remember that yeah no definitely the afterwards as well how did you find it kind of like dealing with that situation as a manager and you've come so close and then you've got the whole summer having and you know it affects every single thing again so pivotal in one game it's just amazing is it how it affects the whole future of a club um, obviously, we go up the next season, but how do you feel in the summer after that? Uh, I struggled. I really struggled. I, and I, no one knew I had some dark times. And, um, and I, I was really struggling to come to terms with that with that day. Um, it took me a long, long time, even into the following season. And I couldn't tell anyone. Um, because the last thing you wanted your manager for me to come out and say, oh, I'm struggling. I can't deal with the fact that we haven't. Because it always, for me, the winning was never as good as the losing was bad. Um, it was tough. I used to find losing really, really difficult to deal with. So I, I did have some dark times after that. And, and listen, it's a game of football. It shouldn't be like that. Mm. But because we're football people, it is like that. And you know that. You know, Supporters, staff, players. We all feel it, and um, we had to we had to go again in the summer. We had to go again, and we had to rebuild again because we were going to lose players again. Longy was going, Millsy was going, uh, Zurab had to go, so we had to find another way and build another team, and that wasn't going to be easy. No, not at all easy with Shane Long leaving, like you say, but we do bring in two players in the summer: Casvergorts and Adam Lafondre. Now, Adam Lafondre. Were you involved in like going? How many times did you watch him play before he signed for the club? I watched him score fifty goals for whoever the score was playing for. Was it Rotherham at that time? Yeah. And I thought, no. And there was a possibility West Ham would mention. It was two hundred and fifty grand. I was actually at West Ham at the time watching them play, and it put to us. Nick said about him to come, and I thought, yeah, we need to, that would be perfect for us. You know, some, some goals. Uh, knew him as a lad, apparently he's a right good lad. And um, yeah, I mean, one thing about Adam Lafondre, even now to this day, you give him a chance, he scores. Um, and a great guy, top, top guy. I mean, if ever anyone had ever had some reason to have a gripe against the manager, it was Adam against me, the way that 
we went through that season towards the end and he was scoring and not starting, scoring and not starting. But, you know, we'll come on to that. Um, but he was massively important. Kasper Gorkis was massively important. Another really strong character, quiet, left-footed, had won the league the year before, which was really important. Um, I thought he was going to go to Southampton. He comes to us. So we've, learnt, we've lost some big players. And when Longy went, when Shane left, I thought, well, I've done know if we can deal with this now. That was a tough one, really, losing Shane. It, like, it really was, because he was so important to the way we played. Um, but he actually, you know, and we, we got a lot of money in that summer, four or five million for Mildred, four or five million for Shane. So we got 10 million and we spent a million. So we did all right. Yeah, definitely more than all right. And uh, kind of the relationship you had with Shane as well, because he lived with you when he first came to the club, didn't he, for a period of time? Mm. Yeah, he did live with me. Yeah, he did live with me for two or three months and cut grass sometimes and put barbecues on. Yeah, he was great. He, he was great. And he still is great. You know, he's a, he's a fantastic human being, top player. And I'm so proud of the career that he's had. Yeah, I'm just imagining Shane Long cutting your grass now, Brian. I can't help that. <laughs> it's a kind of... He did. Shane's a kind listen Shane has not changed she's not changed one bit since the 18 year old boy walked through the door he's still the same humble nice really good person he's still the same and he sums it up really you know what we're trying to what we're talking about good people in the investment makes a makes a good thing yeah all with a drive to get further and achieve as a team as well rather than team than individuals that's that's how I see it is that fair well, I always thought it's like, you know, let, let's let's talk team rather than individual. It's so important. I used to say that at the start of the season. The guys, if, you, if you're not playing, you've got to support the team. If you're in the stand, support the subs and support the team. You know, that's the most important thing at the end of the month. You know, we're all in this together. And at the end of the season, we're all going to be in this together. So that's just, that's our job. We have to we have to work together and try to leave your egos at, uh, at the gate when you turn up for training. So we start the 2011-12 season uh, with not a great start. You lose four of your first six matches. Seems to be a pattern, definitely. But then it just takes off completely. Um, some crazy, crazy moments there. But there was a really interesting match, a big match against Doncaster quite on the seventh match, which you win 2-0 with Church scoring and Adam Lafondre getting his first goal. That was such a big match, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, if it was this day and age, and it, and, and it wasn't for the fantastic chairman that I had, you know, Sir John Medeski is just an absolute top, top guy, top chairman. He would, he, he supported me to the hill, absolutely. You know, we didn't have thousands and thousands and millions of pounds to spend, but I knew where we stood, and I knew where I stood with him. And um, we didn't actually lose four. We lost five on a spin. We lost a cup match as well in, in Wales. Oh, and I remember going off, the, I think it was, and someone shouted down, you lost five on your trot now, something like that. Yeah, I was getting a bit of abuse. Not abuse, not, it wasn't abuse. It was just a reminder that we lost five on the spin. And uh, a lot of chairmen could have panicked and, and, and pushed the button and, and, and sacked me at that point. And it did occur to me, but he was great. He was solid. Um, and then we just went on a run of winning, winning and winning and winning and winning. Yeah, after that Doncaster match, you won on the 10 match unbeaten run. And then at some point later in the season as well, kind of like nearer to Christmas period, you get the Ipswich Town game, which was another crazy match. Um, 
two goals in injury time from Pierce and Noel Hunt. There's another two players that epitomise everything that's good about Ren Football Club, I'd say. Those two, your thoughts on that? Piercy. I remember Piercy, the, the season before, I think it was, it wasn't in the team. I think we'd won about seven games on the spin and the eighth game we got beat. Piercy came to me and he said, Gaffer, why am I not, oh, I need to be playing now. I said, we've just won seven games out of eight. I can't leave one of the centre half. And he went, no, and he wasn't happy, Piercy. Uh, he's just really wanted to play. He's a young lad, great lad. And uh, I said to him, look, Piercy, next season, you'll play every game. Is that all right? And he looked at me as much as saying, this guy's mad. And I said, you were, I knew he was going to play every game. He was ready. Mm. So I said, so he, he went, he just walked away. He played every game that season. This season, we went up and played every game. And he was player of the season for the supporters and for everybody. And he was just, he was, he's just a great, solid character. He kicked one off the line against Nottingham Forest right at the deck in the game that we got promotion. I'll never forget that. And Noel is another one. I took Noel to, to, to Leeds. I know what Noel gives to the dressing room. He just gives, he's all in the, in the games. He's a great lad. Another one. He's just infectious. He's just got this real infectious character about him. And uh, everyone who knows Noel loves him. He's just a lovely, lovely guy. Yeah, I did a podcast with him recently and he's just a really nice bloke. Yeah, totally. Um, the whole podcast I did with him was, was about the team wasn't really so much talking about him as an individual. He talked about how much he held the team. I think that speaks a lot about him. We've then gone to have a 3-0 win against West Ham, which is a great win. Uh, we love beating West Ham. We've beaten them quite a few times. But in that game, there's an incident with Jimmy Kebe pulling up his socks. Now, Jimmy Kebe has become this complete hero in Reading fans, A, because of the ability. But he just said so little whilst he was at the club. Hardly said anything. But this incident in itself, what was it like after that? Because the West Ham player gets sent off and they're not happy about it. What were you, What was it like then, Brian, in the changing room? Well, the story behind Jimmy is interesting because um, I scouted Jimmy. We had, a, we had a scout in France called Tiger who works for Arsenal now, actually. And uh, I went on a Friday night to watch... Lahar versus Bologna to watch a striker for Lahar. And Bologna had this out, a, a six foot three centre left footed left winger. He just kept running past the, wing, the winger. And I went, who's he? And it was Jim. He was on loan from Lons to Bologna. And he was sensational for 45 minutes. He was sensational. Unplayable. Any club in the world signed him off the back of that 45 minutes. The following 45 minutes, he didn't do great, but I'd made my mind up. I went back to Steve. I said, Steve, we've got to sign this lady. Oh, we don't need him. Go and watch him again. So I went to, all the way up to watch him play in, um, in Corsica. And he wasn't very good on the day. So I come back to Steve and I said, Steve, oh, yeah, we've got to sign him. We've got to sign him. Because I just knew. I'd seen this 45 minutes. Put a video together for Steve to show him. And Steve eventually agreed. Because of that 45 minutes, I knew what he had. I absolutely knew. And he knew that I knew. Uh, he came, when he came over, he didn't play too often for Steve. Um, but I love Jim. Great guy. Funny man. Um, absolutely terrific for me. In, in, you know, he was unplayable at times. Defensively, he did the job brilliantly. Um, so, no, he's a, he's a, he, was a, he was really, really good. And uh, he's a maverick. You know, he's a, he was a one-off Jim. But the lads loved him. He's a, he's a funny guy in the dressing room. He's a good man. And 
yeah, he was really important to that team. Really important. Yeah, I love Jimmy Cabe. I'd love to do a podcast with Jimmy Cabe. That would be uh, just amazing. I don't know if he'd be. He's in the poker world now, isn't he? Though, so yeah. I'm missing. Poker. Um, I know he goes on all sorts of different places in America and all sorts. I'm trying to. You know, I sort of meet up with him last last year. We didn't tie up, but I will do. Like, no, I'm looking forward to seeing Jimmy again. He looks exactly the same. Still a really cool guy. Yeah, no, he is basically really cool, isn't he? <laughs> just kind of something about him. You can't get that coolness. You've either got it or you haven't. And uh, I yeah. definitely don't have that. So <laughs> it's a kind of... So we then move on and then it kind of in the 20th of January, everything changes for Reading Football Club in 2012. TSI are announced. You've obviously, now we know that you met with Anton Zingarevich before that. Talk us through the uh, kind of events that led up to this happening, being announced in your meeting with him. Well, I had to manage the lads, trying to manage the team. I mean, thank God I had Nigel. Nigel Gibbs was, was such a great guy and coaching the lads and he did all that. And Carl Allaby doing all the fitness side of it and Luke with the physio. You know, the staff were fantastic, Sal Bivo and the goalies. So I was kind of trying to manage that other side of it with what was going to happen with, the, with Anton coming into the, into the club. Um, the chairman asked me to come and meet him and uh, we flew off to Milan to meet Anton and they agreed a deal I wasn't involved in them agreeing a deal it was all agreed and he said came up to me the chairman and said I want you to stay in Milan and have a meal with Anton and I wasn't happy about it I wanted to get back to training so that night Anton and I um, we sat and we talked I had about nine beers, so did he. And at the end of it, I said, if you get me a striker, we'll win the league. Because my first thing to him was, look, you need to get yourself a manager that you know and you like. Because it ain't me. Um, I was convinced that he didn't even know I was, really. So we had a good night. I said to him, get, get us a striker. We were 12th at the time in the league. I said, we'll win the league. Um, now, that's nine beers talking. And... Also, I did know that we could go on a run, but we did need a striker, and that was the key. So we did get the striker, and, uh, and you know what happened. Yeah, Jason Roberts comes into the club only five days later, and what a transformation Jason Roberts gave to us in our kind of ability up front. So we had the really good team. We just, For me, he just gave us that edge, that experience as well of winning and how was it getting him in? And did we have any alternatives that didn't happen to Jason? Or was he always number one choice? No, he was the one I wanted. So I knew Jason from when he was 17. When I was manager at Slough, he played against me when he was 17. Um, and he, he came off the bench and we all, it was one all at a time and he scored two goals for, for Hayes. He was absolutely unplayable. He was just fantastic. And I follow his career and I always thought, I want to sign him one day. He was 33, 34, whatever he was when he came to us. But I don't think anybody at any football club has had such an effect in such a short period of time, games-wise, than Jason Roberts. He had the effect that we, I wanted on the pitch and he had the effect I wanted off the pitch. He gave us more of a swagger. You know, I used to watch him in the dressing room beforehand and he used to have a certain aura about him as Jason. People looked to him and looked up to him. And fans, away fans, didn't particularly like him. You know, we'd go to Brighton and they'd get he would be booed and whatever. And, and he, he, he thrived in all that. He absolutely thrived in it. And we, it was what we needed. We needed an edge. And uh, we're great, great players, but we needed that edge. 
and he gave us the edge that we needed. He was fantastic in that running in that season. Yeah, incredible running where we win 15 out of 17 matches. Um, you, If that was in a film, you wouldn't believe that, would you? That is just an incredible run of results there. And two of the biggest ones there, well, there's there's three, obviously. West Ham away, the 4-2. Um, such an incredible game again. Uh, it seems like the team just dealt. When they were given a blow, they just went, no, we're going to come back. We believe in ourselves. We always feel that we can win a match. What's it like managing a team like that? Well, it's great managing a team like that, especially when you're on a run and wins. You know, you're just on a run of results and you just let the lads go out because you trusted them. Like, absolutely, 100%. Every single... You see, you've got to remember the way we set the team set the team up. We set the team up to play without the ball, if that makes sense. We set the team up to play on the counter-attack. And we would, didn't mind teams having 500 passes against us if we had 200, because we knew as soon as the game, the ball changed hands, we were going to go into a wide area and hit them on the counter-attack. And there wasn't like anybody could do about it because we had such pace in wide areas and we knew we had a goal threat. And also, we were the most disciplined team in the country as far as that was concerned in the championship. And we did that. And we, we did those with the roles that we knew. Everybody knew their roles. But it's hard to set a team up like that. The only way you can do it is by getting success and we did. We got that success. And the lads thrived on that. In the end. You know, we had great people coming off the bench as well. We had such a good squad. You know, all of those things that all fitted in together. So um, the West Ham game, I remember it well. It was, it was the start of about five or six games where it looked tough on paper. We were 1-0 down. Could have been 2 or 3-0 down. And, you know, we won the game well in the end. We won it really well. We, we nicked the two goals before our time. Never forget the atmosphere. You know, we get to 3-1, they score 3-2. We score 4-2, we could have scored 5-2. And at the end of the game, it was sensational atmosphere. It really was. Upton Park was rocking, but our end was rocking. It was just such a fantastic... Um, our fans were, once again, away from them. were just brilliant there that night, that day. Yes, you must be thinking when those games are coming along and you're getting win after win, you can't wait for the next one to come along. Because it's kind of like you just know that there's belief there and you kind of, you want to prove to uh, everyone how good we are, basically, which is a really good feeling. Because I remember going to the Southampton match and just thinking, no, we're going to win this game. I was just really confident, had complete belief. And I thought, if Southampton could score first and we'd still win. It just, it's a rare thing to have that belief in your team. And just that game, um, Adam LaFondra's impact on that match was, well, I mean, it's legendary. Uh, kind of talk us through that one, Brian. Well, talking through him as a person as well, you know, he, you know, he's coming off the bench scoring and I'm not starting him. And I was bringing him into my office and talking to him. And I said, look, Ad, this is how it's going to work. And if you can work with me in this, you know, we've got the two strikers that are going to play. We need the goal half an hour to go. You're going to come on and you're going to win us this league. You're going to get us promotion. It will be you that gets us promotion with your goals. And you can just, just have faith and just trust me that that's how it's going to be. And that's what I believed. I absolutely believed that it was right for him to come off the bench at that period in his career for that team to work to the best of its, its ability. And that's what I, I did think. And he was great. He was absolutely great. I couldn't fault him. Um, lovely character. Lads, all the lads loved him. And when there was a chance, he scored. He, he scored. You know, when, when he comes on against Southampton, 
Um, the ball's popped back to him and he sticks it in the top corner. His celebration is world-class as well. And then the third goal is, is double world-class celebration. You know, he it goes around the keeper and puts it to bed and, and, and the game's done. And you think, wow, what a great game of football. And tactically, it was such a good night as well for us. You know, we did our jobs. We, you know, we, we, weren't, we, we, we turned out to be good winners that night. Well worth the winners, you know. Worthy winners, I thought, in my opinion, because Southampton had a really good team. West Ham had a really good team. They had really good teams. Brighton had a really good team at the time. Um, so, yeah, you know, all those players, and, you know, there's too many to name, but, you know, the tabbies of this world and people like that. You know, we, we were going to games back end of the season, and players were, were playing in places that they didn't know how to play in, but they still did the job. They knew what was required. You know, Tabby's tackle at West Ham. You know, he's run about 40 yards to make an unbelievable tackle. It summed up the character and the kind of people that, uh, that was in that dressing room at that time. Yeah, a beautiful team to watch. And it's topped off by when we beat Nottingham Forest 1-0 at home at the Medeski Stadium. I remember being sat there and they're singing one more goal and we're up because West Ham had played... 7.45 kickoff, I think. And we obviously kick off at 8 o'clock. So we knew the result of that match. And from the resulting free kick, obviously, Miko Leitowood scores the goal that gives us promotion. Uh, just amazing celebrations on the pitch afterwards. Jim Karachan booking himself out of hospital and he's on morphine coming into the dressing room. What are your memories of that one? I remember the game wasn't much. It was a funny game. It was a tough game. Nil-nil. They had a couple of chances. You know, I remember the fans singing what they were singing. I, I knew the advantage was with us because I knew, I knew their result. And 1-0 and we're going up. And, and, and it kind of... We always felt if we got to 80 minutes at 0-0, good. Or whatever, 75, not a problem. We're going to go on and try and win. And we would do something from the bench that would make a difference, trying to win the game. You know, Alfie had a chance before we scored. Um, and then Ian's cross goes into the box, Hartley's cross and ledge. Another absolutely fantastic individual, great man. He scores the winner. And um, Piercy kicks one up the line right at the death. And we're in the Premier League. Yeah, it's quite a, only the second manager ever to get us into the Premier League, uh, Brian. Um, as it stands at the moment, um, it's not looking that likely we're going to get back into the Premier League. But I do like Mark Byrne, who's there at the moment. What are your thoughts on Mark Byrne? I like Mark Byrne. Uh, he knows the level. He's been around the game all his life. He's a top player and he was an international. Really good fullback. Played against him a couple of times, actually. He was a good player. A really good player. He nicked the ball off you. It wasn't, he wouldn't smash into tackles, but he was clever. Um, and yeah, he looks like he, 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 you know, you need to give him time if you can see what's happened in the last... Up to 2013, we had four managers from 1999 to 2013. And from 2013 to 2020, I don't know how many managers have ready in the It's become like everybody else. Um, sacking managers for fun. It can't happen. You've got, to, you've got to have some stability. You know, for me, you have to build. You have to build a spirit. You have to have time. You know, and, and even when I went back the second time, no time. It was four months. It was ridiculous. And, you know, you know I knew that... Listen, the results were the results, so you live and die by your results. But you you have to have time to build something and build a spirit. And I was all about the dressing and, and all about the spirit. And, you know, hopefully Mark's got that, Mark Bowen's got that in his dressing room now and uh, ready to kick off. 
Yeah, and as we discussed before we started this, he's bald, so he's got a very high chance of being successful, hasn't he? He's got a chance. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Our final, Mr. Cockle, and <laughs> so he has got the criteria. Yeah, definitely. So we move into the Premier League season. And in the pre-season, we saw Anton Zengerovic joining in with the training. Um, what are your thoughts on Anton Zengerovic as a person? We all know what happened afterwards, but at that point, what are you thinking about him? Uh, Anton was all right as a person. He was young. He was ambitious. He, um, I think that the fact that we got promotion came a year or two years earlier than he ever would have thought. So it came early for him. I don't think he could believe the run that we went on. Um, he did. He came pre-season training with us in, in Portugal. Um, he was quite intense, Anton. He, he talking football, talking football, talking football, which as a manager sometimes you don't want constantly. You just need a bit of downtime. As a manager, you've got adrenaline going through 90% of the time anyway. And my time for pre, pre-season was just great for me. It was like a holiday for me. No, I didn't have to pick any teams that made any difference. I didn't have to upset any players. Nigel would put the training together with Carl and Luke and Sal and all the lads. And uh, it was just a good time for me, but it was quite intense when he was there. Played tennis with him and he beat me. Um, so, look, it, it was, it is what it was. And um, we signed Pavel. Didn't know we were going to sign Pavel. Um, but he was one of Anton's favourite players. Uh, I wanted to bring Shane back at the time, but we got Pavel, so we got a centre forward. So we got Chris Gunter through the door. Uh, we got Gareth McCleary through the door. We got Danny Guthrie through the door. So you know, we did the best we could in the transfer market. You know, with the money that we had available. And uh, there you go. Yeah. No. It's uh, we start the season though with a one nil. Sorry, a one-all draw against Stoke City in a game that we also had a late chance from an Ian Hart free kick. But Alan LaFondre obviously scores the late equaliser. And one of those signings you just talked about, Gareth McCleary, gets the penalty for us. Mm. Kind of, it was an okay start to the season. I, I thought it was, you know, kind of always going to be really tough in the Premier League. Very tough. It kind of, did we optimistic after that match? Yeah, I was very optimistic after that match. Um... You know, the, 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 the following game, we, we were playing against Chelsea and I'd seen Chelsea beat Wigan, I think, 6-0 on the, on the Sunday. So Nick Hammond and I went up to watch Wigan versus Chelsea. So, you know, we're 2-1 up against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, Cahill scored from a number of yards out. And because I was, I, was in, I was still in my mindset that, you know, we have to win games. We have to win games. Championship mindset for me was make a positive substitution. I made a substitution. I went to two up front. They then scored a goal that was about a yard offside. Uh, Fernando Torres scored. He was never in the VAR rules it out. And today, it was never a goal. And then they go on and win the game four two. I mean, if we'd have got a result that day, then you know you never know. Uh, we then go to Sunderland, and the game was called off. So um, it was a tough start for us. But in the game against Stoke, we did well, and in the game against. Um, Chelsea, we did very well. We did really well. We were really unlucky. Yeah, no, definitely. It's amazing. It's psychological that if we'd have that result, it could have just pushed us on again. We spoke about that with the players who were involved in the game, with Noel Hunt, and he agreed that if you get that result there, you kind of think, okay, we've done well there. 
but we're kind of missing that momentum with the Sun and game being called off. And that was in August, wasn't it? That's such an unusual event as well. So it takes a while to get the first win. We get the first win there against uh, Everton in November. That must have been such a relief to get that off your back there, Brian. Yeah, it was good. We got that win. I was, I was still confident in the players. I was still confident in the group that we had. Um, and I thought we were going to be okay. Um, but yeah, we get that. And then, you know, we get ourselves into the new year, December and, and January. And we had a really good, was it December? Or January, I can't remember. January, probably. A really good January. Um, and we got ourselves out of the bottom three. And I thought, yeah, we're going to be okay. I'm not sure we're going to be okay. And uh, look, the Championship and the Premiership is different. Very, very different. The level is so different. I mean, five, six times difference in the level. You know, you could Sheffield United this year. Well, they've done fantastic great manager doing a good job but it is a difficult 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 level such a difficult level but uh, listen my lads were giving us everything absolutely giving us everything in each and every game that they played yeah no that's definitely true and we keep on moving through the season and then sadly it comes I've got to say the run in January was amazing though it's absolutely sensational and that game against Chelsea the two all when you kind of like and we also had the West Brom match with the 3-2 game, 2-0 down. Pavel scores that last-minute goal. Alex Pierce has got the corner flag. He's got it up in the air. Kind of an amazing picture. Just, it's amazing how from that point, from January, the end of January, and then on March the 11th, you're sacked by Anton Zingarevich. Um, just how did that come about? Was it a quick meeting, a long one? How, how did the process work? Um, I think we lost two, we got beaten two home games, one against Wigan, one against Aston Villa. And we were winning, I think we were winning the Villa game, we, we got the game, it was two up, and we lost. Um, and I was asked to come into the training ground, to the, to the, to the day ski, on the Monday at three o'clock. So I came to the day ski at three o'clock, and no one was there. Weird. It was, I was in in the bar area, so no one was around. I don't know for whatever reason, no one was around. And then this lady came downstairs, who I'd never met before. And she asked me to go upstairs, and I went upstairs. And Nick was upstairs. Nick Hammond, and he touched me on the shoulder. I thought, oh, it's going to be in something. And they, Anton, he just said to me, just that because of results and, and performances, we've decided to make a change. And I said to him, well, that must have been tough for you to say. He said, yes. And I said, well, thanks for everything. And uh, uh, Nick said, have you got your car with you? And I went, what, you want my car? I'll forget the bus line. He started laughing. And so I walked outside with Nick and, and it was three, three minutes, two minutes past three on the, I think it was the 13th of March. And that was it. And I was finished. That was 13 years at Reading, just like that. And so, look, you know, owner's prerogative, it's like everything. I've got no problems with that. And, no problems with Anton whatsoever, no problems with anyone at Reading at that time. I did the best I could every day at Reading. I tried my best. I gave a lot, I gave a lot, you know, a lot to, to at that time, everything that I had really. And I couldn't have done any more as far as trying. Um, and I had a fantastic spell and a great bunch of people to work with staff-wise, players-wise. Um, and it was a, I was blessed to, to have that time. 
Yeah, well, at the time that actually happened, there was a massive outpouring of support for you. I remember actually on the, this was just like the world of social media only just beginning now. And now it seems like it's absolutely everywhere. And kind of saying how they wanted you to stay. Did you feel that you were going to get the chance, like maybe a Sean Dyche did at Burnley, to come back up again? Because it was always going to be very hard to stay up in the first season, I felt, with the players that we had. We could have done it, but it always looked like a hard task. I was told that I was going to get that chance, whatever happened, you know, if we go down and you know get the chance to to bring the team up again. And I felt we would have we'd have been very close the following year, which was proven actually by Nigel. And Nigel came in, and Nigel did a great job when he came in as well, and, and, and another top top guy, um, Nigel Akin and Akins. Um, yeah, I did think I'd get a chance. I did think that you know I thought that team had a real good chance of getting promoted again, promotion again. Um, but the decision had been made. And uh, that was it, really. So, you know, I had to leave it behind. Yeah. And then you moved pretty quickly to Leeds. Had you kind of wanted to take a break, but then the opportunity comes up to go to such a massive club, you take it in April? Yeah, yeah I didn't want to go at the time. There's five games to go, but they've been losing games. and won a lot, lost a lot of games. They were getting sucked into the relegation zone and, and they wanted me to come with five games left and my first game Nigel went with me which is great um, Nigel Gibbs and we took the first game after two only being there a day really against Sheffield Wednesday we won the game 2-1 and then we won again against Burnley and we were safe then and uh, that's another great club you know fantastic fan base um, and you know that they follow you everywhere as well the away fans incredible and uh, I'm fans. It's. Uh, I hope they go up this season. I think that uh, you know, they're, they're good people out there. I really enjoyed my time at Leeds, even though it was after Christmas when the new owner came in, Mr. Cecilino. It was. Uh, it was a difficult time again. Yeah, definitely. I was going to sort of talk about that one, the incident, and you were reportedly sacked, but then you weren't actually sacked, and you were reinstated. What actually happened with that, with the Gulf Finance House, and all the situation with Cecilino? It was a funny time because if we'd have, we'd have playing, we were playing Blackpool on Boxing Day and if we'd have won against Blackpool, we'd have gone fourth in the league. So we were doing all right. And, you know, the team needed work, but we were doing all right. And I think it was um, end of January, transfer deadline day, we got a really couple of horrible results against Sheffield Wednesday and Rochdale in the Cup. And uh, I had a phone call to say that I'd been relieved of my duties. I went, okay. Didn't even know the guy was who, who spoke to me. And then I was told, and it was sort of on Sky that I'd been sacked. And then got a phone call from the actual owners who were in, um, I think it was Oman at the time, and said, that's not the case. He can't sack you because he's not the owner. A lot of kerfuffle, but it ended up with me going back there the following Monday. And um, there you go. It was, it, was, it was a strange, strange, strange time. Yeah, just from the outside, um, Salino seems like an interesting character. That's what I would say about that yeah. situation. Yeah, a very complex one. Then you leave Leeds at the end of that season. He's kind of also criticises you for being on holiday, which I think is uh, unusual as well. But you then come back to Reading Football Club again, and everything has changed at Reading at that point. Maybe not actually everything, but a lot of changes with the owners and the people involved in the club. How did you find the structure of Reading Football Club when you came back with the tie owners in that season compared to before? 
Yeah, just to put the record straight with, with Celina, Massimo Celina, he, um, I did go home. I, I came home because my mum wasn't well at the time and my mum was dying at the time. Right. And uh, so I, I, I was in Leeds, so I had to come back and, and she died uh, at that time. He wrote to me saying he apologised for sort of saying that and he, he did write to me to say that he, he was sorry about my mum. So, yeah, I appreciated the letter that he, he sent me. Um, when I came back to Reading, um, I'd been, well, I'd been working at Arsenal. Great job, loved it there, and I don't think there's many clubs I'd have gone back to. And I decided, yeah, I'm going to go back and see what I can do. Um, and I was there what four months, five months, four and a half months. Um, results were what they were. Um, I was told that. You know, to get yourself to the summer and then put your team together, put you, and, and that's what I thought was going to happen. It never happened. Um, I think, you know, they, they knew that Yapstan was coming through the door. You know, they had the opportunity to get him, and, and to be fair to Yap, he did fantastically well. He did, he did a great job and uh, got them to the playoff final. So, you know, um, I've got, I have no problem about it. You know, I went back and I just babysat the team for four months, really, and then. And someone else came along and yeah, came in and, and he did the job and he did a good job. He did a really good job and he changed the way that they played and they played some, you know, a lot of possession football and got to the final. And, you know, obviously the following year he gets that. And, uh, you know, there's too many sackings now. You know, I'm not saying about me, I'm saying that there's too many, too many clubs. There's been too many managers and, you know, you need time. Managers need time and they need to be able to build something. You can't, uh, but that seems to be the way it is these days. Yeah, I think one of the biggest losses of Redden was losing Nicky Hammond, him leaving the club, because he's just such... People behind the scenes, I never think he got enough credit for what he did with the deals and just everything he did. What, what about Nicky Hammond then for you? That's just such a good friend. Um, such a top, top guy at what he does. You know, director of football, he's at Celtic now. Yeah. Um, amazing guy. Doesn't want any credit. He's humble. Uh, knows exactly what he does. He pulled off deals of the century for for Reading. When he pulled out contracts that he was doing, you know, deals that he was negotiating with other teams, with other, you know, the, the, the amount of transfer fees that we got, we had to run in the black. I mean, from 2000, 1999 to two thousand thirteen or twelve, we were we were not running with a forty-two million pound debt. You know that you look at now and you think that's extraordinary. I just can't, I can't get my head around that. I really can't, no matter who it is. Um, and we were just, we, we had to sell to buy. We had to sell to buy cheap. And I, I, I like that in a way. I like that time. I just thought, you know, you can scout properly, do your scouting to the best of your ability. I kind of liked it. You know, it wasn't just random players turning up. It was players that you thought, yeah, he fits into what they're trying to do. You know, and, and as, a, as a manager, you need to fit people into what you're trying to do at your football club to get where you need to get to. Um, and that's the problem. You're not, not, people aren't building anything anymore. They're not building structures. and not building teams for success. Everybody wants success yesterday. You know, as a manager, you get two and a half games now. If you lost the first two and a half games, you're in trouble. And um, listen, I would have been in trouble if it wasn't for Sir John. You know, that season that we went up five games on the spin, losing them all. If it wasn't for his strength... And his belief, there's no way I'd have been at that football club. So, you know, I owe him a lot. 
Yeah, the structure and just uh, Sir John Medeski is just an incredible man. What he's done for you just have to look at the stadium. Just let's let's just start there. What he's done, he's given me in my lifetime things I'd never thought I'd see a team in the Premier League, one of the best ever teams in the Football League history, 106 points, the foundations that he's laid. But he had the setup beautifully underneath with people like yourself, Brian, there doing the scouting, moving through the system. We also had like Nicky Hammond, we've just talked about Lee Heron in the academy. All these people, you kind of don't always get a mention, but it's those building blocks. And if we, I don't feel we've got that at the moment. I hope it does kind of correct itself over time. Well, you, but, you, you, you had Eamon, Eamon Dolan. Yes. Eamon yeah. made players, first team players. He gave them the mentality to come into the, so when we got them from Eamon, we knew they were ready. Now, if Eamon said they were ready, they were ready. We used to watch him because he's, you know, he, he gave them this mentality that was, this is how it is. Listen, championship football is tough. He's physically tough, mentally exhausting. Uh, I know that as a manager, but as a player, it's, you know, week in and week out, day in and day out, you've got to be at your best. And he gave us those players, and, uh, you know, and he gave us a number of players, that team that got promoted, how many players from the academy? How Robson can use in this role, you know, don't really get a mention, but it's fantastic. You know, Churches, Piercy's, you know, all of those lads, Gems, the Gem was just sensational. You know, all of these lads that came through our academy, um, you know, Piercy's, all of them, they, you know, they're too many to mention, and that's what it's about. And but he gave them the mentality. He was that. He was that good and such a great loss. Yeah, no, definitely. That's such a sad loss losing Eamon because, I mean, I sit in the Eamon Donan stand at the Medeski mm. Stadium and, yeah, everyone who talks about him who's met him just seems to be an inspirational character completely and knew how to set these players up. Um, I don't know. I don't know where it is going forward with Reading Football Club really at the moment. There is major woes, as you built up, said, with the, the big loss that we've got. That is, that's not sustainable long term, but... I'm going to try and like build it up to a like slightly nicer ending here because otherwise it's going to be slightly downbeat, isn't it? We're going to talk about your time now at Arsenal now with your European scouting. Um, the network there must be sensational. Yeah, fantastic. We've got great. You know, I've got a lovely job. I can, you know, I keep in contact. We've got scouting France, Belgium, Holland, Brazil, Argentina, Germany, Italy, all over, you know, and, We've got, got a great boss, Franny Caggio. We've got uh, Edu who's coming as, as technical director. You know, Franny Caggio, who's, who's brought in so many unbelievable players, Fabregas, Lauren, all the top players, a lot of Spanish players that he brought in. Santi Cazola, you know, and um, I'm, I'm so lucky, I'm so fortunate to be working at such a great club. And I played there for eight years when I was young, so to go back there as a member of staff um, is really nice. And... Uh, they treat me really well. Um, I work as hard as I possibly can. I try to be the best I can on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, that's about it. And, and that's all I've ever done, really. You know, I mean, I, I just go back to my time at, at, uh, with Steve. You know, I, at, with Steve, I, I did every job. I was player liaison. I used to pick players up from the airport. My wife and I took uh, BK, Andre BK's wife, shopping one day in Tesco's in Reading. Um, you know, and I loved it. I absolutely loved doing it. All of these jobs. I mean, I was never at home, but I loved doing it. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate to be in football for 40-odd years, and uh, I'm very grateful. 
Yeah, definitely. We're really grateful that you for your time at Redden Football Club. You did a brilliant job for us, Brian, and gave me some of the best nights and games of watching Redden Football Club ever. So thank you for coming on the podcast. and I really appreciate it. Cheers, man. Thanks a lot, Paul. Appreciate it. Cheers.